Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. We're going to jump in this morning to Psalm chapter number eight, and we're going to just talk about the greatness of our God. Uh, He is uh, great, and he is worthy to be praised, and that's what we're going to do this morning. We find ourselves in the midst of a sermon series uh, called In the Wild. We are kind of spending the summer in the wild, and we find ourselves in the midst of a world that is seemingly spinning out of control, but we're going to see as we walk today that uh, there's not a rogue molecule in all of this world. I think Abraham Kuyper said that, and we are, are reminded that our great God is working, and get that. Our great God is working in the midst of uh, the circumstances and in all the things uh, around us that creation declares the glory of who He is. And so we're going to worship Him this morning. We have walked through a few weeks where we looked at the meaning of life. We looked at this uh, reality that we can trust the Word of God. We talked about uh, just the infallible, inerrant Word of God. And you can go back and pick up uh, some of this series online if you'd like to lean into that. Last week, uh, on Father's Day, we talked about just our perfect Heavenly Father and His great love for us. And today, uh, we're going to just lean in more at what God is like, who is God. Because really, uh, this is the, the thing in our lives. When we understand who God is, it changes everything. And we can't understand who we are unless we understand who God is. And so we're going to talk today about this thought that God is great. Next week, we're going to look at this reality that God is good. And so God is great. God is good. If you show up for the baptism just after service, we'll thank him for the food, which seems to be natural in there. And so you can have some hot dogs. We're going to have a great time there. So we encourage you to come Uh, come out there. You'll find some directions in the worship uh, guide online. Uh, You also basically just uh, make a left out of here and head toward, uh, back toward town. And at Sanderstown Road, you'll make a left. And the first road uh, there on the right, you'll see a sign. And so we're going to just spend time together there um, just in continuation and in continued worship um, as we watch those take uh, their first steps of obedience in following Christ as they're baptized as believers this afternoon. So we're grateful for that. Uh, Psalm 8, we're in the midst of a Psalm of David. And so I want you to take just a minute and kind of picture the moment that maybe this was written. And as as David was tending the sheep, maybe one night in the midst of uh, maybe a time where he may have felt uh, just by himself out there, it may have been one of those times where he's just reflecting. And we have those moments in our life where uh, we're just reflecting on, maybe he's worried, maybe there's all kinds of things that are there, but he gazes up into the glories of heaven. He gazes up into that starlit sky. I can just imagine that kind of moment. And he thinks about the greatness of God. And he says this beginning in verse 1, Psalm 8. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars from which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory, and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. 
and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds and the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Man, just an incredible passage declaring the greatness of our God. And if you notice verse 1 and verse 9, there's bookends on this psalm, and they're exactly the same. And, and what we see is a literary tool. And when you, when you look in Hebrew or Greek, there's no, there's no uh, commas and punctuation and all those kind of things. Fact is, in Hebrew, there's no vowels. Uh, there's, uh, there's just this kind of picture. And so when we see bookends in there, it's called inclusio, and it's this literary work term that, that describes what happens when there's a sandwich. It basically means sandwiched. And so there's this overarching thought when we look at Psalm 8 that it is declaring the greatness of our God, that it is declaring uh, his majesty, that it is declaring how majestic his name is in all the earth, right? The matchless name of Yahweh. That's what we're reading about in this passage. And we look at verse 1 as we see, O Lord, our Lord. There, there's two words that are being used in this passage, and we're kind of thinking, what does that mean, right? O, o Lord, our Lord. Why is there repetition in that? What does that mean? But in the Hebrew, there are different words uh, for Lord. The first word, Lord, is uh, Yahweh in Hebrew. And we, we see this uh, name that, and in many of your translations, you might find that Lord all listed in capital letters. And it's listed that way out of respect for God's personal name. The, the second Lord would be the Hebrew word Adonai. And so there's this picture of Lord and King. And so if we were to uh, just kind of add a little bit from translation, we would say, oh, Yahweh, our king. That's what we would be saying. Oh, Yahweh, our king, how majestic your name is in all the earth. That's the picture that we are in. And this word Yahweh, right, we see God reveal himself to Moses in the burning bush. We see him reveal himself in this way. And scholars would tell us that this name uh, would probably mean that, that Yahweh would mean I am who I am or I will be who I will be. And, and it's this thought, right, of of this, this great God who never changes, who is always the same, who uh, is the uncreated creator. I'm going to give you a statement that we're going to look at over the next couple of weeks and just going to encapsulate some of Psalm 8 and just who God is as we think about his greatness and his goodness. It'll be on the screen. Here it is. It says, Yahweh, our King, is the uncreated creator, the self-existent sustainer and the eternal everlasting father. He is the immutable, omniscient I am. And the last part of this ought to cause every one of us to be in awe that he is mindful of us, that God is mindful of us. And we're going to start with the first one of those uh, in this passage. Yahweh, our king, is the uncreated creator. Can I remind you this morning that God did not begin and he will not end. Psalm 8 reminds us, and we're going to use some, some big words in the next few weeks as we go through this, but, but they're, they're big words that have just very, very complex but very simple ways to understand them as well. And Psalm 8 reminds us that our great God is both uh, transcendent and imminent. We're going to look at those two words a little bit today, but our great God, that he is transcendent and he is imminent. This word transcendent, it gives us this reality that God is above and separate from all creation, that he is greater. This thought is of, of tra being to transcend something or being transcendent means that there's an existence that above and independent from, that it surpasses uh, all things. And we re read in the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 1, we read in verse 3 the other day that, that all things are upheld by his power. And, and so we have God upholding everything, but he is upheld by himself 
alone. Week one, we said that everything was created by him and for him, that we've been made on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to bring him glory. So we see this God who is transcendent, right? But we also see a God who is imminent, who is present within his creation. But understand, he is present within creation, but he remains distinct from it. He is the uncreated creator, and his sovereignty extends everywhere all the time, right? We could have put another big word in that statement that he is omnipresent, right? Then not only uh, is he transcendent, but he is imminent. He is near. And, and we've, we've got to be careful because if we get too far one direction or another, there, there's people that can, can say, can focus completely on his transcendence. And what we have uh, in those situations is a God who is, uh, is, is great, but is absent. It's this thought of someone who has created, that this God who's created all these things, and then he's pulled back from the scene. There's that kind of picture when we focus only on his transcendence. But when we focus only on his eminence or we swing too far that direction, what we can see is that there is a God who is near but not great. When we look at these Eastern mysticism and all these crazy religions, Hinduism and Buddhism and all these uh, other religions that are out there, they, they would tell you that God is in all these things, right? They would say that, that God is, uh, is in those things, but we have a God who is near, but not in. We have a God who created the sun and the moon and the stars, the God who created uh, the trees, who created all those things and all of his creation declares his glory and he is near but he stands outside all of those things. We have a God who stands outside of time, a God who stands outside of space, a God who is greater than anything we could ever imagine, a God who stands outside of time, a God who stands outside of space, but then is present within those things as well. And I'm just going to give you the emoji that comes to my mind when I think about all those things. You'll see it on the screen. Yeah, that's what... When we think about the greatness of our God, that's what comes to our mind. Yahweh, our King, He is the uncreated creator. He is, number two, the self-existing sustainer. When you think about those words, I'm reminded that we have a God who is in need of nothing. He is self-existent. You see a word to describe that sometimes called a satiety, and it's a Latin word, say, and basically it just means uh, in itself. And it's this reality that we have a God who is in need of nothing. I've heard people say, well, the reason God created us is because he needs someone to love. But that's not what the scripture says. We see a God who is in need of nothing. God does not create uh, because he was in need of someone to love, but God creates out of his love. We look last week that he is love, and he creates out of that, and he creates with purpose. We're going to see just the greatness of his creation because he is, and he is in need of nothing, but everything is in need of him. It's been made by him and for him. Paul said in Acts 17, uh, he saw them worshiping at the altar of the unknown God, and he says this, he describes uh, his great God. And he says in verse 24, he said, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. We see in this passage, God is transcendent. He is, he is, 
He's above and over all things, but he is imminent. He is present with us. Verse 28, he says, For in him we live and move and exist, as even some of your poets have said, for we are also, we also are his children. We see a God who is the uncreated creator, who, creator, who has always been the self-existent sustainer. Look at verse 2 of Psalm 8. He says, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, the words that are used there could give a picture, especially that first word picture of an older child. There could be that kind of dynamic. It's not necessarily only like a, a, a small baby, but it says, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your ad- adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. And we're not going to spend a lot of time in this verse, but what I want you to see is that God takes the weak things to do his work. And it's, it's good news to me that God takes the foolish things and he uses them to confound the wise, that he, that he takes and uses the weak to do his work. You want to know the kind of person that God uses? He uses a humble worshiper, somebody that comes and recognizes in light of who God is just how small we are. And we are in awe of his glory. We're in awe that he is mindful of us. We're in awe that he would use us and see fit to allow us to be part of the work that he is doing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, he said, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be from God and not from ourselves. I love the way God takes weak things and he does his work because we don't have to wonder who's going to get the credit. Like if anything good comes from me, it don't take long to figure out that it has to be from the Lord because it sure can't be from me. Look at verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, Not only does he use the weak to do his work, but he uses creation to declare his greatness. He uses this world that he has created, the the, the universe that he has created, and he uses it to declare his greatness. You know, when when the Apollo astronauts went to the moon, they took Psalm 8 and put it in and sealed it in the capsule and left it there. The glory of God declared in his creation, right? The moon and the stars, which you have ordained, And I love the wording that David uses. He says, the work of your fingers. He made the big stuff, right? When we look out, and it'd do us all some good just to look out and gaze just into the majesty and glory of creation, right? To just see the depth of of just the work of God from our, as best as we can see from our, uh, our eyes, right? He made the big stuff. He created it all. And from a distance, you look, and it declares the glory of God. But I want to remind you, too, from close up, you see it as well. We see the work of an incredible designer. Francis Chan uh, used this in a a book that he wrote, but he said, One DNA strand invisible to the human eye contains information equivalent to 1,500-page books. One DNA strand invisible to the human eye. If you had a teaspoon of DNA... Check this out. If you had a teaspoon of DNA, you could have all the information for all the proteins of all the species of organisms that have ever lived, plus enough room left over for all the information in all the books in the world. Now, some of y'all ain't going to believe this. Like, some of you guys, your spouses are going to go, there's no possible way this is true. But listen to this. This is awesome. Your brain, this is awesome. Your brain can contain 100 trillion facts. And like I told you all the other week, I have no idea where my keys are. I do right now. I've got them because we're like going to baptism. I got them in my pocket. I've been very cautious this morning. A hundred uh, trillion facts. That's a lot of, lot of facts and can process 15,000 decisions per second. 
your digestive tract right now, right? I'm, I'm just telling you. It's incredible to run your digestive tract, to do all these things that we're not even thinking about. That's the complexity of, uh, our, of, of us, right? That scripture would say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Right? The prophet Jeremiah said, before I formed you in your mother's womb, he said, I knew you. Right? We have a God who stands outside of time, who knows the end from the beginning, who has purpose in the midst of his creation. Francis Collins, a Yale-educated scientist, said that so famously that the more he examined the universe and the details of its architecture, the more evidence I find that the universe in some sense must have known we were coming. It's incredible just how creation declares the glory of God. Another fun fact, a caterpillar, interesting thing, a caterpillar has 228 separate and distinct muscles in its head, a bug. The complexity of creation is incredible. Here's an interesting thought. If, if you have your, your Bible there, I want you just to put one piece of paper in your hand. It's been said by smart people that can understand length and depth that the distance between the sun and the earth, if it were represented by the thickness of one paper, that the distance between earth and the closest star would be a stack of paper 70 feet high. I just want you to see just how big it is around us. The distance across our galaxy, if this represents the distance between the sun and the earth, the distance across our galaxy would be a stack of paper 310 miles high. I want you to think about how big you and I are in the midst of all that. And to know that our great God Spoke it all into existence without even breaking a sweat. The earth, by the way, travels. You know, we say that kind of spinning out of control and all those kind of things. We know that it's absolutely in control, but, but the earth travels at 67,000 miles per hour through space, if y'all didn't know that. So if you didn't think you got anywhere this morning, like... One hour, 67,000 miles through space. Isn't that crazy? Like, I'm just blown away. And, and some of your science book students, some of your science books would say that the dumb stuff, <laughs> this is so silly to me, that the dumb stuff made the smart stuff. Yeah, so, so some of your science books would say that that the dumb stuff made the smart stuff and that we're growing in that direction. We, we see those kind of things. We see design, and when we see design, we see a designer. And there's a battle in our culture with the doctrine of creation, right? There's a battle in textbooks in public schools that are saying this is how things happen and this is how the earth was formed and these, all these kind of things. But here's the reality. Nothing plus nobody didn't equal all of this. Creation declares the glory of our great God. Some of you have heard this or seen a picture kind of like this, but if you find a turtle on a fence post, what do you think when you see a turtle on a fence post, right? You understand that it got there somehow and that there's probably like a fourth grade boy somewhere going, <laughs> right? I mean, that's just, oh my God, there's, there's somebody in that kind of of mode, right? And, and we find in 
creation, we find an incredible designer. Now, I want to tell you just a quick story. I've got something that's kind of a family. Um, if you want to know what this is for, like during worship, the answer is absolutely nothing, right? It's not even useful for anything. But, but this right here is a watch. It's been in my family for a long, long, long time. Um, it started out, it was really just kind of a box of metal back in the day. It was just a, some metal and some little pieces and stuff. And um, it, it was just kind of there. And it was, it was just, just kind of all there. And, and the dinosaurs, they kind of like kicked it around and played with it and stuff. It was really neat. They just kind of, it was crazy. They just played with all the metal and all that stuff. And eventually like out, it's crazy, right? Out popped this. Like I get text messages on this thing. It's incredible, right? It just, it just happened. It's been in the family for a really, really long time. What's more complex, this watch or a hummingbird? You ever watch one of those things? What's more complex, this watch or a human cell? That strand of DNA that we're talking about, what we see is that all around us, creation is declaring the glory of God. And this intelligent design points to something with purpose in creation. Y'all heard the story of Goldilocks, right? Everybody knows that story, right? They, they show up at the house, right? There's this uh, little girl shows up at the house. Three bears lived in the house. Y'all know the story. And they get there, and she goes inside. They've gone out for a little jog or something. I don't know. But they go in, and they got in there, and there's, the, there's these bowls, right, of porridge. And they get in there, and the first one she, she gets, and she tries it. And what's wrong with it? Oh, man, it's too hot, right? And then, and then she gets the next one, right? And in that house, there's three bears. There's the great big papa bear and the, the middle-sized mama bear. And then there's the itty bitty baby bear. And so the first one's way too hot. The second one, she tries it. Man, it's too cold. But then all of a sudden, she gets that next one, and she puts it in there, and what is it? Just right. And what we find in creation is that there was a God who created all of this, and he spoke it into existence. And when we look around at the way that life is sustained, that every piece of it was made just right. We have an eternal, everlasting Father, right? We find that our King, right, that Yahweh, our King, He is the uncreated Creator. He is the self-existing sustainer, and He is the eternal, everlasting Father. He made everything just right. And while He created all that big stuff, and we look up at the grandeur of heaven, we look up at, at the grandeur of the skies and the glory that we see in creation, and we are reminded that God is mindful of the little stuff. He is mindful of you and I. Look at verse 4. He says, what is man that you take thought of him? Some of your verses says, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? He created all this just right to sustain life. Frank Turek says this, and he uh, writes a book. I think it's called The Incredible Faith of Atheism. Um, and, and he basically just declares that it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to believe uh, in God. Interesting book. But he says there are dozens of constants like gravity and oxygen level and nuclear force. All these things had to be set in extremely precise parameters for the earth to be inhabitable. Dozens of factors that had to be tuned precisely to the right level to allow life. If the earth were closer or further from the sun, we would not be here. If oxygen made up more or less than 21% of the atmosphere, we would not be here. If the earth's rotation took more or less than 24 hours, we would not be here. If the earth were tilted at more or less than a 23-degree angle, we would not be here. And so what do we do when we look at a God who has spoken this word into existence, who has created all things, who has created all the big things, but he is mindful of you and I. He is mindful of every one of us. What do we do in that moment? I want to challenge you just to do one thing. 
And that's to praise him in his perfection and to rejoice in his presence, to, to recognize that we have a transcendent, mighty God who is greater than anything that our words, any way that we could describe that he is great and he is greatly to be praised. And we rejoice in his perfection and we rejoice in his presence, right? We worship him. And my hope is that we might look at the greatness of God, that this week for our students, that they might hear who God is as they look at the attributes and look at at his power, and they might get a glimpse of his glory. And when we do that, it causes us for a minute, it causes us for a moment to forget all the things about this world. It causes us for a moment to get so caught up in the greatness and glory of God that for a moment, we forget about all the problems and all the things of this world, and we worship. Our worry turns to worship. Our hearts turn to worship our great God. And it's not to end in this place, that we might worship him in every place that we are. You know, God did not uh, desire that we might only come to to church, or we might come to this building, and we might gather as the church, and in those places, we might sing praises to his name. But young people, I want to challenge you that you might fill your heads, that you might allow uh, the worship and the, the greatness of God and the music that you listen to and the things that you do. The Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we're not to be conformed uh, any longer to the pattern of this world. And the reality is that Satan all around, and, and the, the battle that we are in in our culture, in the things that you watch, and the things that you take in, and the mindless hours of YouTube and all the things that are there. You've been created for more than that. You've been created for more than to simply look into all these things and waste tons of hours and all these things and to listen to garbage in the music and the things and the choices that are there. But you've been created to worship a great and mighty God. And what would it look like if every day that we got up and not only did creation declare his glory, but in our actions we declared the greatness and the glory of our God as we leaned into his word. You know, God's spoke to Moses through the burning bush, but I want you to know that he's given every one of us a burning bush that we might lean into. And this is how God has chosen to speak to us. It's how God has chosen to reveal himself to us. And the God who spoke this in world into existence without even breaking a sweat desires a relationship with each of you, desires to be intimate with you, to have to have fellowship with you. And through the cross of Christ, those of us who were without the ability to bring God glory, broken in the midst of this sinful world, that through the cross of Christ, he paid our sin debt. He made a way through faith in him that we could be restored in relationship with our creator. And I want you to know something on the third day. He he gave us through the resurrection and the power of God as he rose from the dead. Scripture says that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead, that for followers of Jesus Christ, that it lives in us. Jesus looked and he said, hey, it would be better. He told his disciples, he said, it would be better for me to go away because if I do, he said, I will send a comforter. We through today, we'll celebrate, right, that, that those that are being baptized, that they, that they have passed from death to life. We're going to see them baptized. They're buried with him in baptism and raised to newness of life. And that newness of life is fueled by the power of the spirit of a living God. In, in the very first sermon, as Peter preached, he said in Acts 2, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the remission of your sins, right? And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we, in, in the greatness of a God who spoke this world into existence, that is who our God is. And 
the triune God that exists in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we see the gift of the Holy Spirit given to believers when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then we are equipped to walk and live for the glory of his name. And those of us who, because of our sin, right, the, the wages of sin is death, separated from God, unable to give him glory through a relationship with Jesus Christ and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, we are enabled then to live our lives for something greater, for the glory of his name. And it's only in that, it's only in that purpose, understanding what we are made for when we live in that. It's only in that that we find joy, that we find fulfillment, that we find God's purpose, and we were made for more. We were made to live for his glory. And may we do that. May we worship him in these moments. May that be the way that we end our time together today in worship to a great and a mighty God. I want to invite the band to come. I want to uh, ask you for just a moment. I want to pray for us. I want to, uh, as they come, just as, as we reflect on the greatness and majesty of who God is, I want you to just take a moment and, and just reflect on that. And I pray that in the power of His Spirit that we might allow the things of this world to grow strangely dim in these moments and that corporately together as one people that we might recognize and worship a great and mighty God, the God who spoke, who creation declares His glory, the God who spoke this world into existence, the God who was in the beginning, right in the beginning, God created. We see Him, this uncreated creator, this self-existing, sustaining Savior, right, that we would worship Him for who He is and our response would be to surrender and bow down to him, that our response would be to bow to the King of kings and Lord of lords, that we would praise him in his perfection, that we would rejoice in his presence because he is colossal, he is creator, and he is calling. Nehemiah 9, 6 says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth that is and all that is on it, the sea and all that is in them. You give life to all of them, and the heavenly host bows down before you. May we bow down with the heavenly host before him and may we worship him because he alone is worthy. If you've never trusted Jesus, the beauty is that he is mindful of you and that he is calling and he is speaking. And it might be today that you surrender your life to God, that you might bow down before your creator and say, God, I know, Lord, that there's nothing good in me that I've sinned and I've fallen short of your glory and the wages of sin is death, separation from God, eternal separation from God in a place called hell, but you've demonstrated your love. God, you've commended your love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, that you died for us and you've enabled us through the power of your spirit to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. And then that same resurrection power lives in us as we surrender our lives, as we lay down our lives and as we walk and live for the glory of his name. If you've never trusted Jesus this morning, you can call his name. He said that if, if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, Yahweh is our king, right? That is it. That the great creating, uh, the I am who I am, God that's existed from eternity past, right? That that God, that if we declare, oh, Yahweh, you are my king, right? That's what that is. You are my Lord. No longer am I in charge, but you are in charge. God, I surrender my life. Lord, you are you are Lord. You are, you are worthy, and my life is yours. I pray you would forgive me. I pray you would restore me, and that you would save we have a God who says that whoever would call upon his name will be saved. And if God speaks to you this morning, I pray you will fall on your face before a holy God and you would call on his name. And for all of us who have experienced his grace and his goodness, may we worship like we have. May we be reminded that the great God of this universe is mindful of us, that he is imminent, but he is present with us right now. Father, we pray for your will and way 
in this place, God, in every life. God, may we worship you in the greatness and splendor of who you are, God. Lord, may we recognize that this band is not performers. God, may the band recognize this morning that they are not performers to this audience that's here. And may the congregation recognize that they are not in response to this band, but that, God, we, every one of us have an audience of one. And, God, we are looking and we are worshiping in a reflection of your greatness and your glory. You are worthy of all of our praise. May we stand in awe. Lord, have your way in every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship our great God.